Hello, I'm Glenn Broggett, and this is Rasslin' Memories Online, heard exclusively at www.radionorthland.org. My guest today spent nearly 15 years in the pro wrestling business, debuting in 1982, and worked steady until uh, he hung up the boots in the mid to late 1990s. He first rose to popularity working in the Pacific Northwest Territory and along the way worked for some of the major territories of the day in the mid to late 1980s, including world-class championship wrestling down in Texas for the Von Erics, the Florida Territory, legendary Florida Territory, Jim Crockett Promotions in the Mid-Atlantic region, of course the NWA, until finally getting the call to head up to the land of McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation. But for all of his fame and financial benefits, he has suffered his share of health setbacks, due in part to his nearly 15-year career. He has most recently been making news for his attempts to call attention to the lack of proper care for a lot of the boys who leave the business, some of whom have died way too young in the pro wrestling world. His campaign to uh, right this long-standing wrong and to take on the biggest dog in the yard, the WWE, on behalf of himself and the boys has really gotten a lot of attention from uh, the first uh, couple of days when he started making these uh, these uh, statements and comments. But to tell us his story is the man who made Portland, Oregon famous, the master of the full Nelson, Mr. Billy Jack Haynes. Thank you for joining us on Rasslin' Memories Online. Uh, you're very welcome, Glenn. Finally get together with you. We've been talking a while about doing this, and I'm very proud to do it. Yeah, Billy, it seems like uh, things have really picked up for you in uh, recent months here. It was, uh, what, at the end of last year where you you first uh, started to really gain attention with with your suit and uh, some of the action that you wanted to take here uh, on behalf of not only yourself but of the boys. Yes, we really don't have to go back in time. I mean, if you want to very quick, I'll give you a brief scenario of my career. Uh, I started first in Calgary for about two weeks. Went home. My dad was sick. I got into Portland wrestling for about six months. From there, I went to Florida. Florida for about six months. From there, I went to uh, the Von Erichs for about one month. My dad was sick again. My dad always came first to me in my career. He was mm-hmm. blind with juvenile diabetes. And then I went to, uh, let's see, North Carolina with, uh, with Dusty Rhodes. I was only there a month at a pay-per-view. Went back home. Russell Flair stayed there with my dad again until I got the call with the WWF. And since I was only there one day before, I forgot to tell you, in 84, and then my dad was in critical condition, and I wanted to go home, and Vince McMahon said, you go home, you're you're fired. Exact words, so I told him to go, uh, you know, what to, what to do with that, and I went home to my father. Mm-hmm. And you were you were in there right away during the uh, the early expansion days. I I didn't know that you had that that uh, brush with McMahon right away there in '84. Well, he came after me first. Actually, it's uh, it's just the whole business doesn't work. I mean, we tried to protect the business uh, with the kayfabe, and and Vince went and exposed it to everybody. So now I can go ahead and just tell you straight because he's already killed the business pretty much. What kayfabe is, you mean, it's like I'm talking to you. I'm not going to tell you anything inside the uh, dressing room or what goes on inside the ring. But basically, pro wrestling is all the work controlled by the promoter. Mm-hmm. And all the control comes by the promoter. And what Vince McMahon has done is talk, uh, taken out every territory from Portland, you know, AWA, world-class Florida, the Carolinas, and combined it into one WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment, which to me is a 100% farce joke. But not really. A lot of guys getting injured now. A lot of guys getting injured now, and they're covering it up. Mm-hmm. 
And let's talk as much as, as you know, we are able to discuss this uh, class action suit uh, that you have uh, been involved with against the WWE. You know, what, what made you decide to, uh, you know, to take this route? And, uh, and are you surprised that you have been able to take it as far as you've headed so far with this? Uh, what has really happened was when I broke my arm, now we'll go back to 1987, I had never been injured in any other territory you're ever in in professional wrestling. You're always home every night. You drove by car. You never flew. I mean, you just didn't fly. Every territory, you were home every night with your family, your wife. You had a life. Mm-hmm. But when WWF came around, you flew five days a week. New York to L.A., L.A. back to Florida, Florida back to Montreal, Montreal to Calgary, Calgary to Texas. You'd work six, seven days a week. And you had that day off, you, you didn't want to go home because you were so tired, exhausted. If you did, your your wife or girlfriend, whatever, your family members, you couldn't have no time at home. And that's where the business started to take that turn for the ugliness to the drugs. And when, when you got hurt, uh, which most of the wrestlers, 90% did, it took steroids and got hurt, uh, it was held internally. We were not allowed to go to ER rooms. So it was, everything was internal with all of Vince McMahon's doctors internally taking care of us with drugs, morphine, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, you, you may, of course, that is well documented, too, uh, when McMahon went to trial with uh, his doctor, uh, Dr. Zahori, and a guy who was very well known backstage at WWF events. Uh, correct, Glenn. Uh, Dr. Zahori was just one of many. Believe me, he's not with you. he wasn't the only one. The biggest secret that Vince kept was the fact that, in fact, he was busted, too. He got like 138 uh, packages from Zahorian Malone that went to Titan Sports in Connecticut in his office. Uh, he said it was vitamins, I guess, but, you know, it wasn't vitamins. It was drugs. And um, every wrestler, had, we, 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 we were at the hotels waiting for the drugs to get there. And when I broke my arm, uh, fractured my arm in my back, I got hooked on uh, Vicodin and morphine for about uh, six months, and then I just got hooked on the pills. But WrestleMania three, I, I was in the event with 100,000 people. You tell me what happened in the event, I really don't even know. All I know is I got 20 stitches and I was knocked out and had a severe concussion. That's all I remember in the match. Mm-hmm. And the match- sutured up in the dressing room. And a match that you uh, happened to work with with another guy who uh, left us way too early, another one who uh, got on that pro wrestling hamster wheel and uh, really uh, ended up uh, leaving us way too early was Ray Hercules Hernandez, uh, another one of your fallen brothers who you had quite a lot of experience with uh, both in the ring and getting to know the guy outside of the ring. Yes, Glenn. Uh, so well, we were such good friends. I mean, and most of the guys are. We have a very close-knit family in professional wrestling that I want the fans to really know about. Now, we may act like we hate each other or whatever in the ring, but in the locker room back in the day when I was in it, in the early 80s, mid-80s, 90s, um, you know, we loved each other and we cared for each other. We took care of each other. But when Vince McMahon took over the, the WWF reigns from 82 on, he really created his own characters and his own really, well, you really, he created his own drug addicts. I never took drugs except for steroids. And I tried it when I was a kid, like everybody. But mm-hmm. I was just into steroids and stuff. And uh, you weren't big, you didn't have a job. And when I uh, ended up breaking my elbow, I became a full-blown junkie, taking 30 to 50 Vicodin a day. And I never missed a, I never missed a match. I never missed, I missed two matches. I, I got to tell you that. All because of a knee injury. 
the pro wrestling world, you know, it's you know, it's not unlike the NFL and the NHL. You know, though it is a predetermined sport, it, it, it's, it's just as much with the full contact, if not more, than those leagues because you know the NFL and the NHL they get to have their off season where they can kind of heal their bones and stuff. Where the world of professional wrestling, if you miss uh, more than a couple of gigs, uh, you know, a couple of matches due to an injury. You got another guy waiting to take your place, so it is really much that you know, if you get off the hamster wheel, it's going to be hard to get back on again. So it was really that whole competition thing as well to keep your spot that's really kept you out there and uh, going out there with the injuries and and developing those addictions. So you, you act like you're a professional wrestler. I tell you, you've got it right on the money. That's basically what it was. Um, we were what I called it after a while was we were the we were the uh, flying drug addicted prostitutes. And uh, the promoter, Vince McMahon, was the uh, the pimp promoter. Because we, a lot of guys will even tell you, they'll tell you today, or they haven't challenged anything I've said. We got 51 wrestlers signed up. We got the best attorney team from the NFL. They defeated the NFL last year for $1.2 billion. And they have unions, and they defeated the NHL, and they have unions. Major League Baseball, they have unions. Everybody's got unions but professional wrestling. And Vince wants that control. Vince McMahon has to have that control to say who wins, who loses, who he pushes, who he doesn't. And that's the whole competition. You get injured, there's a guy ready to take your spot, and you're making now uh, seriously eight to 10000 a week. So for anybody that wants to say, well, why don't you just, you didn't like it, get out of there. Well, you couldn't, you know, that's a lot of money to leave, first of all. And he also had you under lock and key for a year. You couldn't work for nobody else mm-hmm. for a year. With the non-competing. And there was nobody else anyway, Glenn. Well, yeah, because basically Rome was burned down to the ground with the guys with the territory systems becoming uh, null and void, and the only nearest competition was, uh, you know, working for what eventually became the WCW. But still, I mean, it wasn't like the uh, the seventies or the sixties where you know you you took your tent, you took out your tent poles after six months or so, if and you moved on to another territory. If you were lucky enough, you got a year in a territory if you were a hot face or something. Correct. They used to go territorialize. You'd be like in Portland for six, nine months, and you'd leave, and you'd switch, you'd switch partners all the time so you wouldn't get stale. And that's what's happening with the WW. I don't even like to call it WWE. To entertainment, to me, when you go out there and break your neck, or, you know, right now there's like 67 guys that have died way before their time. Mm-hmm. And I, I said to myself, you know, I was so strung out on drugs, and, uh, you know, sure, it, it, it's my fault, too, but, you know, they, they gave me the drugs. I couldn't go to the ER, so I didn't want to lose my position. I got hooked on the drugs there with the doctors that Vince had there, and all the other guys did, too, but most of the guys ended up committing suicide because of the concussions and the head trauma. I tried it myself. Uh, I failed. A Marine saved my life. It's a long story. And nine months ago, I seen this uh, NFL thing. The, uh, he said, if you ever been to the WWF, you could be worth millions. Called his number. I called. I showed him my WrestleMania tape, WrestleMania 3, and then I got the doctor's report where I had uh, real serious uh, concussions and, and head injury, and uh, I'm diagnosed with three different types of, uh, well, we can't, I can't really say it over the air. I've been told not to by my legal counsel, but uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty permanent. And most of the guys that are living, they're called the walking dead. They're on this lawsuit. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of them are in wheelchairs. And it's not unlike the CTE thing that was, uh, you know, discovered and really uh, brought into the light by the NFL with their uh, concussion lawsuit against some of the veterans. Well, see, 2004, 
the, the NFL in 2004, they started understanding the concussions, so they came out with it. Well, McMahon knew all about these concussions. I mean, these guys are dying off. My goodness sakes, it started with me on the plane. I overdosed on a plane. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a horrific story. I'm on a plane with Rick Rude, Dino Bravo, and Brady Boone, who all by now are dead. Overdosed or died in a car wreck or were murdered. And uh, they're all dead. I was on the plane, and I overdosed on Vicodin. I took about 20. And uh, Rick Rube gave me mouth-to-mouth on the plane. They had an emergency landing in North Carolina. Uh, when I got there, they said I had to either have a pacemaker put in or have electrical shock treatment. Oh, wow. My heart was only beating like 42 times in an irregular heartbeat. So I said, well, hey, go ahead. Give me the uh, electrical shock treatment. Right away, they rush in, put a rubber grommet in my mouth. All these nurses around me, they're shaving my chest, got these suction cups all over me, and all of a sudden, boom, I got hit with two baseball bats in the size in the temple. Well, I'm getting pressure from McMahon to get back to work, so I had to leave the hospital out of ICU, sign myself out of ICU. I flew back to Portland, Oregon, where I'm talking to you from right now. Vince called me, didn't ask me how I was, not one time. He said, you got to make the California shows because you're, you're a semi-main event and you're headlining one of them. I said, Vince, I almost died on the plane. He goes, well, that's your effing fault, man. You overdosed. I said, well, that's your effing fault because you gave me the effing doctor. <laughs> Zers. <laughs> well, I made the shows because I'm a man of my word. So that, that, that's an example of how he pushed you to the limit and why these guys all end up dying out so young. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's been talk, of course, through the years now of, you know, of having, you know, the unions like the NFL, the NHL and all the other major sports. Now, when you were working, uh, you know, in the ring in the mid 80s, did you ever hear any talk? Did, was there anything serious to the extent of uh, whispers about, you know, possibly unionizing? Because there's that well-known tale of Jesse Ventura in the early part of the WWF uh, in the 80s trying to get something together that was uh, squashed uh, allegedly by Hulk Hogan. But did you ever hear anything rumblings of, of, of possible union talks? Or was it something that they were so dead set against because it was, again, the competition to maintain their spot? Exactly right again, Glenn. Now, that happened in WrestleMania three. Uh, Jesse Ventura, actually, he announced my match uh, against Hercules with uh, Gorilla Monsoon, who's now passed away. Good man. Mm-hmm. And um, he tried to unionize it then, but Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan strong-armed it out. They don't want to unionize anything. They don't want to give. We have no benefits whatsoever. I want everybody to know this right now. We're, we're not a union, but yet we got the number one rated show in the United States for the last 15 years, I guess. Um, but there's no union, there's no health benefits, there's no time off. You cannot get time off. You get time off, if you, you get time off, they get a guy to replace you. Mm-hmm. If you're hurt seriously and you have to go to the ER room, they take care of it internally, like I said. So we have no benefits, no retirement, not one package. And that's what I'm trying to do is to bring it forward, pay it forward, and get these guys paid in wheelchairs, get them some reimbursement and live out their lives in dignity. Not like a horse out in a, in a field with their leg kicked up. You've seen it before. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where a lot of guys are in wheelchairs today. So I stood alone as one. They laughed at me. WWE did. Vince laughed. His attorneys laughed. Well, they're not laughing now because there's 51 main event guys that are former WWF, WWF, and WWE wrestlers that are with me 100% now. 
And all of a sudden now, his guys are starting to drop up. Like uh, Daniel Bryant, you know, was concussed out. He's probably going to have to retire. Jamie Noble the other day on TV, he uh, fractured his ribs and may have broke his back. Tyson Kidd, you don't hear about that, broke his neck. I'm Glenn Braga. This is Wrestling Memories Online. We're talking with the legendary Billy Jack Haynes about the the up uh, both not only his life in the pro wrestling business, but what that's uh, going on in the pro wrestling business in regards to head injuries and and the life after pro wrestling that some of the guys, some of Billy's contemporaries have had to deal with these nagging injuries. Some have uh, left us way too early. And Billy and I are talking about this class action lawsuit. And you've mentioned a couple of uh, times about uh, getting a bunch of guys. There has been some momentum here with guys uh, that have helped to uh, pick up and help join your fight. Now, a lot of guys, too, you, you've mentioned, and a lot of them we, we're, we want to talk, I want to talk a little bit about that have been you know, suffering, you say, like, they feel like they're like the horse that gets taken out and put the bullet in, that they, the wrestling business kind of leaves these people behind. And one of the guys I've been seeing online, and we'll talk about some of the ones who've passed away recently, but some of the people I want to talk about that are still alive, Billy, and one of them that has uh, really been fighting some health problems as of late, a guy who did so many wonderful things for the business, and his legacy lives on in his uh, children and his grandchildren, is uh, Bob Wyndham, Blackjack Mulligan. Uh, Glenn, thank you very much. You, uh, I didn't know you were going to bring that up. That's he's the best friend I have in the business. Blackjack Mulligan, uh, six foot eight, legitimately three hundred and sixty pounds, played in the NFL uh, for the New York Jets. Uh, kind of hurt his knee a little bit. Then he went into professional wrestling. His sons were legends: uh, Barry Windham and uh, also Kendall Windham. And then his daughter uh, Stephanie married Mike Rotundo, another professional wrestler. Mm-hmm. And then he has two grandsons, uh, Bo, Bo Leave, and Bray Wyatt, that people probably don't even know until I say this right now. So Blackjack is with me, Grandpa is, mm-hmm. and it seems like they kind of turned their back on their own grandfather. But now that he's getting close to death with brain surgery and heart, he's got everything wrong with him, one lung, concussions, he's all concussed out, dementia, he joined up. And now the the families they're trying to uh, reunite with, and I'm really happy to see that. But he's a he's a big part of our team, and I love that man with all my heart. So glad that to hear of that, that the family is starting to really take up his cause. He really uh, was really having some major health trouble. He it seemed like he was going to be another one to join the great ring in the sky, and that's something we don't want. We want to have this guy Black, you know, Bob, have a quality of life. But again. It's the pro wrestling. It's it's the nagging injuries. It's uh, living those main event lifestyles, hitting the road, and doing all the stuff that needs to be done. And boy, there is a side effect. There is a cause. There is an effect for everything. You know, it's gravity kind of reminding you that you're still around. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but the main thing is the injuries. Listen, Tom Brady, if he broke his right shoulder in the Super Bowl this year, even though they got really lucky to win it, and I'm glad they did because I'm a I'm probably going to get in trouble because I'm a Pacific Northwest guy, Oregon, but I was rooting for New England. And, um, you know, and Brady is just sick if he had a torn out shoulder or a broken shoulder. Well, if it was our league, we had no union, we'd have to go out there and wrestle with it. That's the difference, not having a union. And it's very simple to really understand that people should understand it, but Vince McMahon does not. He demands that control and power. And we're going to see in court, December, it's a, pardon me, June 30th, this uh, Tuesday in Portland, Oregon, whether the venue is going to stay in Portland or it's going to go back to Connecticut. My hometown is Portland. This is McMahon's hometown is Connecticut. We're fighting over the venue. If it stays in Portland, we've got a very good chance. If it goes to Connecticut, 
we still got a chance, but not as good because that's his hometown. Oh, exactly, exactly. And, of course, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the deaths in pro wrestling just here recently. And we've lost some some really some, some great guys, some of the boys here. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about a guy that uh, you, you may have crossed paths with in the NWA in the Crockett Territory when you and Wahoo were doing their, your thing uh, back in the day. I want to talk about Dusty Rhodes. And, boy, it's been, as of this recording, two weeks since uh, we, we lost the American Dream. Uh, can you talk a little bit about Dusty and some of your memories, too? I mean, this was a guy that uh, not only had the charisma and was one of the top draws, but he was a guy who also worked the office behind-the-scenes stuff, too. I mean, with, with booking and stuff, for better or for worse. But what are your memories of Dusty? Very good. We met January of 1984 when I went down to Florida. I was actually at the Super Bowl. Uh, Super Bowl 18 with uh, Lyle Alzado was a very close friend of mine, a football player, and he passed away in Portland, Oregon. He married a woman from Portland. He died of a very strange, which I still don't understand what happened to him. I'd like to have an autopsy on him brought up because he died very suddenly. But anyway, um, Dusty and I were close friends for six months. Then we had this big show in Miami, Florida. And I'm wrestling superstar Billy Graham, and uh, Don Shula is there. we got 50,000 people. This is before Vince ever even really thought of it. And uh, we didn't get paid. I mean, no one got paid for a month. And next thing you know, there was some kind of a problem with Dusty Rhodes and Eddie Graham, who I, mm-hmm. I idolized both of them. They're both great guys. And Dusty left with a bunch of guys, and I stayed with Eddie. That's the last time I seen him. It was kind of a, on a sour note. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were going to get together in Tampa, Florida, just as the day he died. We were supposed to meet in Tampa if he was going to be there. He died that morning. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, Yeah, uh, and uh, another big... Know. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Billy. No problem. Go ahead. Well, and you mentioned, too, Eddie Graham, and uh, I was just going to ask you, uh, I was trying to get my timelines correct, but you, you were you were around uh, right, right up around the, the last days before Eddie, unfortunately, passed away? Well, there's another question mark there. Everybody says he passed away, he committed suicide, but I knew Eddie, I knew Mike, I knew all of them. And they say he committed suicide, I don't believe it. I believe he was murdered, and I'll believe that till I go to my grave. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I believe uh, Mike may have, but Mike just got a million dollars, so I don't know why Mike committed suicide. So there's a lot of questions in professional wrestling that need to be answered, but there's so many young guys that died, and if it happened in any other sport, they'd have a man. The union would step in and, and stop procedures immediately. Do you remember in Cincinnati? Now you you know Pete Rose. I see you with a, you with a picture of Pete Rose, right? Yep, yep. Um, I know Pete quite well. Uh, I mean, I met him, and I know his followed his career. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know he likes to gamble. Yep. And you know, hey, I did too. I met him out in St. Petersburg, and I went to a, actually I went to a game, and he let me sit in the dugout with him when he was <laughs> with the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, yeah, in '89. And that's where Randy Savage broke in first. He was going to play pro baseball with the Reds as a catcher. And so uh, we were at the dog track in St. Petersburg gambling one day. And uh, he was a great guy, man. So, hey, we should have a union. But Marv Schott, I think, was the owner. And the umpire had a heart attack. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, 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 I, I, it's been a while, but, yeah, I can remember that vaguely, yeah. Okay, well, Mark Shaw wanted to continue the game after the umpire died and get another umpire, but remember the player said no and the union said no, right? Mm-hmm. 
Okay, now you tell me what the difference is in a match in Kansas City, Missouri, May 23rd, 1999, when a pro wrestler is beginning named Owen Hart fell 80 feet to his death, dead in the ring, and everybody knew it, but it, there was a 15-second delay on the pay-per-view, so people at home didn't know really what happened, but people live were mesmerized because they knew the guy was dead. Owen Hart. But what does Vince McMahon do? Greedy as he is, he continued the pay-per-view. Yeah, that's, that's the difference between a union and a non-union, Glenn. Oh, absolutely. The, the, to know when to quit to stop something because of something of that significance. I, I remember watching that pay-per-view wondering why the show was going on because there was just such a, a pall that was cast over this because of this unfortunate event, but yet they were wrestling. It looked like everybody was so shell-shocked. It, 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 that, that shouldn't have even happened. The audience was not conditioned after that. It was just a, a bad scene. And again, that's one of those things where you said a union would have probably prevented this thing from going any further because of such a horrific incident. No, a union would have prevented it. Yeah. Vince McMahon made the decision on his own out of greed alone to continue that match knowing that he was dead. Nobody can fall 80 feet and live. Everybody knew he was dead. They were pumping his heart, for God's sakes. I had four people that were at the match that seen it. And the, everybody in the entire arena will, will back that up, that they were absolutely mesmerized during the entire event in shock while everybody in pay-per-view didn't know what's going on. They said, hey, we'll tell you his condition. We'll update you the condition on Owen Hart, knowing damn well that he was already dead. Mm-hmm. Now, that's BS on Vince's part, man. Mm-hmm. Sick. Yeah, we're talking with Billy Jack Haynes and uh, pro wrestling uh, uh, in, in his years as well uh, in the business and as well as his class action lawsuit against the, the World Wrestling Entertainment Corporation. On behalf of pro wrestlers uh, who are with us and who have passed away, who have had to suffer from their injuries and all of their contributions to the mad game, Billy's uh, trying to fight for the, the good the good fight for the cause of, of those professional wrestlers, his brothers and sisters in the business. You know, we got to go back to what led you to finally uh, led to the parting of ways between you, you and Vince McMahon uh, because you ended up uh, leaving the company. Of course, it was after a while. It seemed like you weren't getting a push. You and Ken Patera had a, had a short-lived tag team there with a few with Demolition, and then all of a sudden you, you were off the page. What, what, what was going on with that? Oh, man. I got to try and rack my brains around this one because uh, it's been so long ago, and I've got uh, I got some uh, real memory issues. Sure, uh, just, sure. Okay, Vince McMahon. Okay, here's what happened. Um, in September 13th, I opened up a gym and was going to try and open up a gym, stay married, be with my dad's last wedding days, and my and my family. And uh, I was so strung out on drugs, I tried to get clean. But back then, they didn't have the wellness program, and, and Vince should have had it back then because everybody was a drug addict. 90% of the WWF wrestlers were drug addicts and steroid guys, and the other 10% were lying. <laughs> and that's the truth. And I haven't had one person ever come up to me yet and say in this lawsuit that I've lied about that, not one wrestler. So they know I'm telling the truth. I love my, my brothers and sisters. It's McMahon... That, that needs to get out of the business. He's not good for the business. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see next Tuesday, June 30th, who wins and who loses, who, where the venue goes. But I, I wrestled, I, I quit for a while. Then all of a sudden he told me the night before Hulk Hogan was going to be at the grand opening of my gym, I had spent $50,000 to promote my gym 
and he calls me up and tells me, well, Hulk isn't going to show up at your gym tomorrow if you quit me. And I was so strung out on drugs, I couldn't believe he was telling me that. I had already, I had probably half a million dollars saved. I was okay at that time. I said, Vince, you know what my problem is. I'm done. He goes, nobody quits me. He goes, you come back and work to WrestleMania 4, tag up with Ken Patera, and uh, you give me your word, and I'll let you have Hulk Hogan, or I'm not going to let him go. Well, I already, I got 50 to 100, really $100,000 tied up in, in my gym, probably more like 300. So I make a, a my word commitment. Hulk Hogan comes to my grand opening. So he's there. He did show up. i got to give the man credit for that. But it goes a lot deeper than that. I can't talk on the phone, man. <laughs> the reason why. That'll come out later. Sure. But I go back to Vince, and I'm there and for about three weeks. That's when I overdosed on the plane. Okay. You know, my drug addict, I was such a drug addict, I overdosed on the plane. That's when I almost died. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, and about three weeks later, I had enough after another incident that I can't talk about. And um, that's it. And I didn't wrestle only. I wrestled 480 or 467 matches with Vince. And people say, well, why is Vince the one that you're going to sue? Well, I only wrestled about 500 matches. I wrestled about 1,000 matches in my career. So half my career was in the WWF. You're on a plane five days a week. You're a zombie out. They give you Xanax to sleep on the plane. You wake up, you're like a zombie through the airport. You got to go to the hotel. You got to put your clothes on. You got to take a shower. You got to go to the gym. You got to tan. You got to eat. You got to get to the arena. You got to dress down. You got to wrestle. You got to talk to your partner. You got to shower. You got to do it again. Repeat, 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 repeat to the point to where you're a zombie. Mm-hmm. You're that hamster. Yeah. You're on that hamster on the wheel. <laughs> good good analogy man. <laughs> yeah that's good yeah we're going to talk uh, a couple of other passings here recently and uh you you've you've made some uh, posts on, online uh in tribute uh, uh to some of your fallen brothers uh one of them of course uh was we lost a couple of weeks ago uh tommy rogers now you talk about a guy who uh, put in some great years in the tag team ranks uh you know with with bobby fulton and the fantastics and stuff Another guy who uh, was having some health problems as well. And also, you know, it's not just the physical, but sometimes it's the, the psychological stuff as well, too, that, uh, that, that that needs to get mentioned on top of the, just the injuries themselves, the physical side of things. And Tommy Tommy had his fair share. Yeah, he did. The, the Fantastics. I knew I met Tommy in 1982 in Portland, Oregon, in Portland Wrestling. And you know, he was one of the great, you know, you, when everybody dies... You know, everybody's great all of a sudden. Even if you didn't like him out of the ring, there wasn't really anybody I didn't like out of the ring, and, and vice versa with the boys and, and the girls and women in our business. Tommy was a great guy, but I only met him in, in 1982, and then I met him in 1985, I think, 86 of the Fantastics with Bobby Fulton. They had a championship team, and then when I heard he died, of course, it was extremely sad. That was June 1st. And then I think... Um, Wahoo McDaniel's stepson died. Um, yeah, hearing about that too, uh, just a bizarre uh, a water accident, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a skiing accident. He was only 17, and um, I'm communicating with her right now. We're going to talk, you know, off 
off the record, you know, off, off Facebook. Oh, sure, sure, like, like, like old friends and stuff, yeah. I mean, Yes. There's one who was a great guy. He was my tag team partner. He died in 2002. Oh, Wahoo. That Wahoo was the first gentleman. I was speaking of just from a, from a personal perspective. At the very first pro wrestling show I went to, being up here in Minnesota, of course, uh, we were in AWA uh, territory at AWA State. And I saw it was at a high school spot show up in Roseau, Minnesota, where Wahoo McDaniel was one of the first professional wrestlers I ever met. And I was only just a young kid, probably eight, nine years old. And I was rattling off stuff about his football and all of that. And he was so patient. And so just a class act, and I never really forgot about that. It was more than just an autograph. And Wahoo had that, he had that it factor. Even as a kid, I realized just what star power Wahoo had, both from the, you know, he was a hell of an athlete, but he just had that charisma, too. And you know that full well, working with him in the, in the tag team ranks when you guys were doing your thing for Crockett. The difference between, uh, let's say, a Dusty Rhodes, there's really four assets to a professional wrestler I mean, that, that a promoter will push. And that's if, you know, if you know how to wrestle, you know, you know how to rap, you know, interview, and you've got charisma. I mean, you got to have that charisma, you know. But really, the body, all four of those go together. Dusty made it with charisma and interview alone. He didn't have the body, and he really couldn't wrestle real well, but he got had that such charismatic. We're talking Wahoo McDaniel was Jim Thorpe-type athletic. He mm-hmm. played for the New York Jets. He held the record for the longest punt in the NFL. No one knows this until um, Randall Cunningham broke it with a wind-aided punt from the end zone on a, on a snap. Remember that? Yeah, it was a foggy day, too. You got to put that in the play. Nobody could see where the damn thing was going. Right, and nobody was back there to get it. So they just punted from the end zone. It went all the way back like an 80-yard punter, a 90-yard punt or something. Yeah. But Wahoo was a scratch golf player. A pro a football player, pro wrestler. He was a Jim Thorpe of professional wrestling, and I was lucky enough to tag up with him. Yeah, Wahoo McDaniel was the greatest Indian athlete ever, uh, next to Jim Thorpe, they say. But I honestly, I looked at both of them. I think Wahoo is the greatest Indian athlete of all time mm-hmm. because there's nothing he couldn't do. Yeah, I wouldn't in have fact, wanted I to play him in racquetball. He's great. <laughs> I wouldn't have wanted to be on the opposite end of one of those chops, though. I mean, even I remember hearing it at that house show that night. Even though it's a younger kid, it was uh, he went. I think he was breaking up a tag with Kurt Hennig was in the in the main event in the six man with Wahoo, and he went up and gave him a chop that you could hear all the way across the gymnasium. It was just echoing. It was like, man, I felt even as a kid, I was like, I winced just a little bit because Wahoo, man, he was he was tougher than shoe leather, man, too. No, there's no doubt about it. And I can tell you, one one night in the Bahamas, in Nassau, Bahamas, um, you know, Wahoo, you know, after we were done, you know, sometime Wahoo, uh, you know, like to drink a little bit. And he got a little bit tipsy one day, and we were in the casino in the in, in the Bahamas, and there was this one dude in there who was a real smart aleck, and uh, he was saying wrestling is fake. And back then, we really protected the business, not like Vince does now. He exposes everything. We were very protective of the business, case saving it very good. And so uh, he said, well, why don't you go ahead and bury your chest and let me chop you in the, in the chest? And uh, the guy says, yeah, go, you know, yourself, you know. And um, mm-hmm. well, anyway, push come to shove. He put a $100 bill up. He said he could knock him on his butt. The guy was a big guy, 6'5", maybe 240. And he, and he was a little tipsy himself, a Wahoo shopped, and the guy would about, I, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, 20 feet backwards, head over heels, man. <laughs> and it sounded like a gun going off when he chopped him in the chest. Oh, man. Now, you know that for a fact. You know how hard he chopped, the hardest of all time. 
I, I, even as a kid wrestling in the backyards, I got in trouble with many uh, parents uh, for uh, kids running home crying because I was doing the Wahoo chop. I'll admit it. <laughs> it was you two, you two in that full Nelson. I I shouldn't have watched that uh, World Championship Wrestling one Saturday night. I got in such trouble for <laughs> lifting a cousin up in the full Nelson because he got a little mouthy and a little cross with me. Oh man, I got the pro, for all the things I got in trouble for with pro wrestling. But that I loved every minute of it. And I loved you guys, you and Wahoo. And another guy I want to talk about that I grew up uh, watching when we first got cable uh, where I lived was a, a guy who worked uh, as one of the Nature Boys. He spent some time in the NWA. He worked the, worked the South for the most part, but uh, he left us recently. We're talking about Buddy Landell, the Nature Boy. Buddy. Oh, man. See, that's, this has been a really, really bad month for mm -hmm. professional wrestling loss again. And Cora Combs died just after he, after he did. Uh, Debbie Combs' mother, oh, yeah, another yeah. professional wrestling family. We just want to mention that, too. But Buddy... I wrestled him about 12 times, and I wrestled Flair about 20. And, and this is just my opinion. I've taken a lot of heat for this because the promoter tells who, who wins, who loses, whatever. But Nature Boy, Buddy Landell, had the Nature Boy down like uh, Buddy Rogers did better than Ric Flair. Ric Flair did the same match every time I went out there with him. He had to wait for him to call it, the same deal, the same bump. Buddy Landell, like Harley Race, were very creative. He could have easily been a world champion, but they just didn't push him. And if you're not pushed by the promoter, they're the ones that say who wins and who loses. It's, listen, I've won 15 belts. Every one of them were given to me by the promoter. Mm -hmm. Laura won 17, 19 NWA titles. Everyone given to him by the promoter. I never wanted to tell you that. It's, it's Vince McMahon that has exposed that. Glenn Broggett on Wrestling Memories Online talking with Billy Jack Haynes. And, Billy, one of the things uh, we haven't really mentioned as far as the, the McMahons go, we've talked a lot about uh, what's been going on behind the scenes of the WWE, but for a while there, there was a couple of uh, moments that we thought uh, that Linda McMahon, that the WWE would get more influence even in uh, the United States government. Let's talk about, uh, I guess, a move that I, I bet a lot of the boys kind of thought was insulting with all of the money that went into it. Let's talk about what you, you know, and your thoughts on, on what went on. With, with the McMahons trying to get into the political world, most notably Linda, the wife. Oh, man, don't even get me started on that, man. I mean, this, this is part of the reason that I, I quit cold turkey my drugs. I, if anybody's ever been on drugs, and you know, I'm not proud of it, but 28 years, I quit cold turkey. I had the worst two weeks withdrawals. I said, I'm going to take this guy down. I did a 2009 shoot interview because I heard she was running for Senate. Well, in 2010, she ran for Republican Senate of Connecticut. Why? She spent, I think, $50 million in that campaign of her own money. She lost. And then in 2012, spends another $50 million of the money that we broke our backs making the billionaire for and got nothing really out of it and lost again. So there's $100 million, and you've got several men like Dynamite Kid, Kamala, Lex Luger, all these guys are in wheelchairs, man, walking around half dead, like myself. I admit, I'm, I'm, I'm gone. I'm pretty much gone. But they spent that, and they smiled about it. Like, they didn't really care. And then Linda's speech, she she got up there, and, and yeah, God bless her, man. She gave the best losing speech you can give. And where's Vince? Right by it? No, no, Vince wasn't right by her. He was hiding 20 feet up in the rafters. Go to the internet and look at Linda's speech uh, when she lost the Senate seat in Connecticut. This big man's hiding up there <laughs> like some coward. So 
yeah, we were all disappointed in that. All the wrestlers were. And uh, that's why the wrestlers are joining. We should have 100 strong by the time we go to court, maybe even more. And, uh, you know, the names, that, everybody knows the names. I'm, I, I can tell you for sure, we, we got them all over the world. The Dynamite Kid's in a wheelchair. He's in England. He's on this suit. Of course, Blackjack Mulligan, uh, Ivan Koloff, uh, Jim Powers, Paul Roma, Ken Patera, Chavo Guerrero Sr., um, there's, there's, there's so many that I, I'm, I'm not really supposed to mention it, <laughs> but I did, but it's all right. It's not a big deal. You know, my attorney might say, what'd you do that for? Yeah, it's all right. I want the people to know the truth. We're telling the truth. We need a union and we need to be reimbursed for all of our injuries and our drug addictions and everybody else. It's too late. Hey man, look at when he they went in front of the Senate in 2008, Henry Waxman, and finally, they were forced, 2007, forced to send paperwork saying you can have all the drug addiction help you needed. I said, well, that's great, Vince. 47 guys are already overdosed, and now you're going to send us treatment. What about the families that lost every, their, their husbands and their wives overdosed? What about the children? What are you going to do for them? Uh, we'll give you treatment. They're dead, Vince. Get it through your head, man. They're dead. What an idiot move. And then Stephanie McMahon in 2008 goes in and says she's never heard of one concussion ever in the WWF. Oh, and just, just recently, just recently, uh, they just lost, uh, was it, um, on Tough Enough now, they're wearing helmets all of a sudden to protect, because of this lawsuit that they were laughing at, now they're, they're in, in, in deadly fear of. The Tyson kid broke his neck, is out of wrestling, I guess, for good. They don't mention that on TV. Uh, Jamie Noble was thrown in by uh, Brock Lester, broke some ribs or broke his back. He's done. And Daniel Bryant's career is probably over. But they won't say that. And then on the Wrestling Observer, if you read that, you'll read where Dave Meltzer finally, for the first time, is really going against Vince because of this lawsuit. So, yeah, man, we're moving. Yeah, there's we're going to win this case. There's momentum. And uh, before we go today, Billy, uh, when, when is everything going down again? What was the date on it? It was at the end of this month, correct? Uh, yes, sir. It's June 30th at 9.30 a.m. at the Mark Hatfield Federal District Courthouse, Portland, Oregon, 1000 Southwest 3rd, room 11A. And I didn't even have to read that. My brain is is uh, is to- totaled into that man. has been over it so many times. And it's the WWE versus me. And uh, my attorneys versus theirs. Probably be, they'll bring in, they'll bring in the Jerry McDevitt, who's never lost a case. Vince has this book out called I Fought the Law and the Law Lost. Well, you're going to come to Portland, Oregon there, Vince. Bring all your attorneys you want because you're not going to fight the law here. You're going to lose here. This is my backyard. Thank you, Billy Jack Haynes, for taking some time to speak with us, and we wish you uh, nothing but the best uh, in your, your case and uh, the boys' case to, uh, to, to, to try to right some wrongs in pro wrestling. Thank you so much for uh, being with us today and, and, and taking a stand. Oh, thank you very much, Glenn. I really appreciate it, man. For Wrestling Memories, this is Glenn Broggett reporting. Thank you, Billy, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you.